With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right. Here comes the judge. Swing and a drive. No, it's not. It's not. Brothers are back after a short couple days rest, and obviously the circumstances call for some extra work. Sean and Ryan here with you on episode 13. A huge wild card win for the Yankees, and a matchup 14 years in the making awaits as the Yankees and Red Sox getting set to take the field in the ALDS. And we have Katie Sharp of the Athletic and River Avenue Blues on with us to preview that obviously compelling matchup and to review what was a great wild card game where pretty much everything went right for the Yankees and uh, Sean we were on just a couple days ago talking about the decision by Aaron Boone to start Luis Severino and again it should be noted he didn't exactly look like his old self per se but he bent he didn't break he walked four guys but he kept the shutout alive and went four innings just like just like we said should be a good number for Sevy to get through and then handed it over to the bullpen and then the offense did the rest. Yeah. I mean, I think we got exactly what we expected out of Severino, especially with how he's looked lately where he kind of emptied that tank through four innings. Um, you know, we could break down the game in a little bit more detail, uh, as we get into this, but I was really surprised with the decision to bring him out for the fifth. And, um, you know, I, I think one of the, you know, we were talking about unsung heroes in the last episode, Batances deserves a lot of credit for this win because Trevino was keeping the A's in that game after Judge got them off to a roaring start, which was, uh, I mean, that was one of the most exciting starts uh, to a playoff game uh, that I can ever remember where Severino comes out and, I mean, he just bullied through the A's in the first inning. And then the first pitch the Yankees swing at is Judge hitting a two-run homer and what made that home run so cool, and I know you were in the press box and didn't have like the TV view, but you saw it was a fastball in a hitter's count, and you saw Judge start that swing. And I mean, before he even was halfway through his swing, you knew the ball was going out of the ballpark because it was right. You could, it was one of those things where your mind processes it so quickly, and you just know something awesome is about to happen. And that was such a great start. But then Trevino comes in and and pitches after two terrible batters, pitches great and keeps the A's in the game, and you could feel the momentum swing the other way, and Severino gets a little bit gassed, and Batances comes in and, and saves the day, and then the Yankees break out uh, thanks to you know timely hitting by Hicks and a, a tremendous professional at bat out of uh, big country, 
uh, corn-fed Luke Luke Voigt. I mean, that that was incredible. He, I know he thought he got a lot more of that ball than he did with the way he was celebrating halfway down the line. But, <laughs> I loved it anyway. He still yeah, got a triple out of it. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he he got the third. Uh, those uh, he was moving, and uh, and then we were on our way. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Atansis. That's you know, someone we'll break down further with Katie Sharp when we play that interview. But uh, uh, we should break down his celebration after the, the little the, shimmy after he yeah. got yeah, that was after the fourth inning jam he got out. Uh, yeah, that yeah, was awesome. Or the fifth inning, excuse me. And um But why why that was so important to me is because it showed you that Batansis can can go multiple innings and be effective. He can come on with runners on base in a in, in a huge situation which everyone thinks is where Batansis really falters is when there's runners on. And while that's been true in the past, he's been phenomenal this year. And and he's exactly what the Yankees need right now. You, you look at how deep and effective that bullpen was in 2017, which was such a huge reason why they you know came within one game of the World Series. Well, a huge part of that was Tommy Canely and how great he was in the postseason. They don't have him this year because he's just whatever's happened to him. A, a monster took his talent or, or something, but... Uh, but now Batances can step in into that role because he was a non-factor last year. So it's kind of like you lose one arm in the bullpen and, and you get another in Batances. One you've already had, but one that's stepping up and pitching as well as he has for in his entire career, which is saying a lot for a four-time All-Star. Absolutely. And I think there were a lot of things that happened in the game on the Yankees side that really surprised me with the way that they unfolded. Uh, Batances being used in that spot, I, th- I thought that was a Robertson spot, right? You know, Houdini, quote unquote. Even though uh, he did get hit hard, but um, the Yankees—they were just right at right at guys, Robertson. But to or go some- to Batances- sometimes they weren't right at guys. Sometimes Hetchabria oh, just yeah. had to get on a pogo stick. Yeah, that was an insane catch, considering the situation too. I mean, just ridiculous. Um, my my oldest friend was sitting out in the left field bleachers, and you know, Alex, and he said that that play live just looked so quick. Like you couldn't believe that it happened in, in that amount of time for him to get up there. But any, anyway, uh, and, and the closing situation really surprised me too. I always thought that they were going to use Britain in the ninth and not, not um, Chapman. And then things on the A side, I think they almost went exactly as we kind of predicted they would where, yeah, they have these, these great, relievers but you never know who's going to be off and and we kind of i joke joked about fernando rodney um and, and we talked about liam Hendricks' struggles on the road and and both of those things came to fruition i mean what you can't predict though is is blake trinan one of the best pitchers in baseball um you know giving giving up the hits that he gave up and the runs that he gave up but a lot of things that we kind of thought that, I mean, swayed me anyway to believe that the Yankees could win this game. I know I was back and forth, but then at the end of the day, those were the things that, that helped sway me to the Yankee side, and, and they did come to fruition. It's it's funny because so much of the panic surrounding the wild card game is the, is the knowledge that there is this parity to a one-game playoff where things could go wrong that don't always go wrong, and a 100-win team could be out of the playoffs with a snap of your fingers. Ironically, the parity definitely affected the A's a lot more because, like you said, you had that set bullpen day that they that Bob Melvin had put together, and you had Hendricks, who, while he hasn't been as great on the road, that was a really small sample size, and he's thrown 11-plus shutout innings to end the regular season, and it looked really comfortable in that opener role. And then you had 
Trinan, who's just been nothing short of historic this year with how effective he's been. And those are two guys that, that faltered for the A's and wound up costing them the game. So the parity actually got to the A's and not the Yankees, and that's why they're moving on and heading to Fenway on, on a very slow-moving train. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's, you know, and like I said, things for the Yankees maybe didn't line up like we expected, but it worked out, and um, I, I want to talk to you about your experience at the stadium, but first let me just get this off my chest because I feel like I owe it to probably, besides our family, the two <laughs> listeners we have that listen to me kill Boone. Um, Boone made a bad decision to bring Severino back out for the fifth. And I, I tweeted that Trevino may have saved the A season and, and bringing Severino back out for the fifth may cost the Yankees theirs. And, and the first two guys get on after I tweet that. And, you know, I'm, I'm very negative. Aside from that move, everything that Boone did turned to gold that game. Whether it was the way that he deployed his bullpen, um, uh, one of the things that most impressed me was he always he kept one in the chamber by having Green available in case Chapman had one of those blowups, and that really made me feel good late in the game. Even if it was like a two or a three run lead, you knew you would have that other arm back there. So him keeping that bullet uh, bullet saved in the bullpen really was important to me. The way he went to Hechevarria and the way he got Luke Voigt out of there because you know the Yankees definitely showed their warts in this game. Um, you know. And we, Andahar's defense is awful, but Voigt's is too. I mean, Voigt was just as guilty on that throw in the dirt. I mean, you have to make that pick if you're if you're a first baseman. I'm sorry. And then that throw on the the botched double play that really could have been costly. But uh, I mean, Boone Boone makes the right defensive replacements at the right time. He trusts his his hitters in the right spot, and he made some great bullpen moves. Uh, stuck stuck with Severino a little bit too long, especially after that awesome celebration at the end of the fourth. I think Sevy thought he was done, but everything else that he did was really good. Um, so I definitely, you know, I just want to take a second to acknowledge that. But um, before we get to Katie, I think it's really cool that obviously, and I'm, you know, I I've, I keep tweeting about this and everything. You got to cover the game yesterday. Um, you graduated college five months ago, and you're covering a Major League Baseball playoff game, and it's the team that we grew up watching. Uh, we grew up just loving together and, and, and as a family. And um, you get to be in a champagne celebration with the New York Yankees. J- just take take me through, because I, I purposely you know, told you I didn't want to talk to you about it today so we could talk about it now. Um, what was it like in the locker room as – I mean, you were working, but you are, you know, you're one day removed from being a fan. So what's it like seeing these guys celebrate such an accomplishment as moving on to the division series? What was, you know, what were the guys doing? How are they interacting with each other? What was it like? Well, first of all, I, I think, uh, I felt compelled to want to jump in and join that celebration just for the fact that I was able to make it through that whole game while being objective and no, no cheering, no reaction. It, it was more draining than, than letting emotion out. <laughs> Holding it in was way more exhausting, but like I was thinking, I was thinking that I, I'm, I purposely, if I don't watch the games at Yankee stadium, I like to watch them in my own home by myself because people will drive me nuts. And Wiley, my dog, is like getting annoyed at me because I'm like jumping up and down. I'm clapping like I'm going nuts like Severino. And I'm like, it's probably more loud in my house than it would be than Ryan's able to be right now. <laughs> yeah, it, it was tough. But um, again, like we said on the last episode, the the career means more right now. But no, it, it was it was um, 
It was awesome. And and the Yankees just watching them celebrate. I, I think would have been cool if it was any team, but just because it was the Yankees and, and it was in a winner-take-all game and just watching them celebrate and just seeing in person like how close Torres and Andujar are. I mean, they were... They were attached at the hip the whole celebration that I saw. They got a couple great photos together, and, and you just see how close they are. Um, judge exactly how you think he would be, just super pumped up and happy, but really on the more mellow side about it. Just like he's not the one to to really let his emotions all the way out. He throws a runner out from the outfield. You just get that like mutter under his breath, like "Don't fucking run on me," and and. Um, the the home run he had in the wild uh last night that's about as much of a judge bat flip as you're gonna get yeah uh, it was really subtle but yeah it's just just seeing him going around the clubhouse just high-fiving everyone just calmly saying you know like that's what i'm talking about like that's uh that's what we do and stuff like that that was really cool and um and so yeah. so yeah being being in there do you get to do any players acknowledge you do you you know do you get you know do you get to you know, sometimes they'll they'll spray a beat reporter or two. Do you, do you do you get any high fives? What's that like? Yeah. So after you know, I was with the crowd uh, taking pictures of Torres and Andujar together. They were doing like funny poses together. Um, I, I got in there after like all the spraying. The bulk of the spraying of the champagne was done <laughs> because I had to go to the A's clubhouse first. Um, but yeah, so after we all posed. Uh, Glaber hit me with a little from behind as I was walking away after taking pictures of them. And, you know, he just smiled and laughed and, and pointed. And, uh, you know, I didn't really have conversations with any of them just because, again, I was there to report on the A's and I had to get that job done first before anything. So I really was able to just go in there, do a lap and just experience it. But, you know, players walking by said hello. Luis Sessa was super friendly and, and, and was like, hey, how you doing? And, um, he remembered you from when you covered the Rail Riders playoff <laughs> game, probably. <laughs> and, um, you know, Judge said, said hi in passing, but as much as you want to be like, like, hey, my name's Ryan, like, you're awesome. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I know you can't do that. It's um, not like me at the Tino autograph signing where, you know, <laughs> your legs go weak. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, it was, um, it was just, it was really cool to, uh, to see them. And, um, and they were obviously having more fun with the reporters that have been following them all season. I mean, they've drenched Meredith Morakovitz and, yeah. um, those other, you know, on air talents that are with the team all the time. Um, but it, it was really cool just to, speaking of the talents themselves, it was cool to just watch them, watch them prep and get ready for the broadcast and everything. I was, uh, my, my row was right, um, I was right in the middle of two former guests of this podcast. Right behind us was Lou DiPietro, and he was working side-by-side side with Meredith for a few hours before the game, just getting set for what they were going to talk about. And I went up and said hi and uh, thanked him for coming on the podcast. And, and side note, he said he'd love to come back on anytime. Awesome. Um, and then uh, right in front of me was Ken Davidoff, another former guest, and I got to talk to him for a while. He was uh, very nice and said he'd be happy to help out again uh, if if we wanted him to. So uh, keeping those bridges up. Um, and yeah, just, and, and being on the field, of course, for, for batting practice was, was really cool, especially when just out of nowhere, Billy Bean walks by and Brian Kenny chases him down and they, they start talking about who knows what. Um, <laughs> so it, it was, it was really cool. Just, uh, yeah, not just the interactions with, with the players and stuff, but the, you know, other fellow members of the media just, 
because you know you really only know them behind a Twitter profile, but seeing them all at work was really cool. Brian Brian Hoke, a really funny guy. He was messing around with everyone. He did that uh, after the whole hug watch thing with Arenado and Baez. He uh, yeah. did one with uh, Brandon Cuddy, I think, of NJ.com. <laughs> So it was it was cool. It was really cool to see it, how everyone interacted and just to have that access that you, uh, you know, you, you watch those celebrations on post-game shows and you always want to know what it's like to be in one of them. And it's, it's pretty much, I mean, it's just as cool as you would imagine it to be. That's awesome. Now, uh, really something I'm glad you talked about that. You know, you talk to some of the people that we've spoken to, and, and that's that's really awesome. And, and, you know, there's been so many people that have been kind to us on the podcast and and we appreciate that. But one thing I was curious about in, in the press box, you know, a lot of these writers will, you know, write their kind of rumor stories and whatnot in the off season. But I think as long as the playoffs are going on, they're having this kind of fun ride with the team. Did you feel like a lot of the Yankee writers were pulling for the Yankees? I mean, I, I don't know what the chatter's like during the game. If people are talking to each other, like bouncing ideas, like, wow, I think Boone shouldn't have done that. Is there a lot of that or is it pretty much quiet? Uh, while people are working on their stories what's it like in the press box during the game you know for for where i was i was with all the a's reporters um so for a lot of them just (laughs) just just looking around at them it was kind of i mean it obviously was a nightmare start for the a's and and i think um yeah that's what dennis eckersley said uh nightmare so i'm like oh i'm (laughs) glad we're getting a nice balanced broadcast here (laughs) i i think um just like judging by their reactions just completely like flat and emotionless it almost seemed like that once judge hit that home run they kind of succumbed to the fact that they knew what the outcome was was going to be at least that's what it felt like i didn't talk well, I to mean, them uh, that much fernando rodney said as much he said that <laughs> after judge homer he knew they were gonna lose well that's tough <laughs> i knew the a's were gonna lose once rodney came into the game but i wouldn't say i knew it was over after judge homer um but honestly, from what I saw, um, it was mo- mostly just uh, just business. Like there was plenty of uh, joking around and talking before the game when people were just, you know, settling into the to the press box and maybe writing a couple quick news posts about the lineup or something like that. But it was really lax before the game, and then you go down to the pregame press conference and and you you know ask your questions to Bob Melvin and Aaron Boone, and then you come up come back up. Uh, you know, maybe post some quotes from that pregame presser on Twitter, and then everyone packs into the uh, media uh, buffet room or whatever it is, and they eat, and then everyone's just, like, in the zone and and ready to work. And um, I didn't really see much emotion from anyone in in the press box. I mean, they were... I will say the only time I saw some actual emotion was when Stan hit the home run and I just like looked around at everyone and everyone was just pretty much jaws on the floor. Like, holy shit. Like that was hit a mile. And, uh, but no, no, no like cheering for anyone or anything. Oh, and the hatch of catch. Then, then you had a lot of wide Who's eyes. And, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, mainly just business as usual. Again, it's also hard for me to hear like what other people down the row were talking about just because of how, deafening the stadium was last night i tweeted that out after i was there as a fan last year and i was there as um a reporter this year but i i honestly think just judging by the first inning um it it was it it could have been twice as loud as it was last year and and when i left last year i thought that was one of the loudest i've ever heard the stadium so they the fans really brought it last night some of them to you know 
asshole-ish levels with that video we saw with uh, the fan throwing a beer on someone, which is just stupid and makes the fan base look terrible. But uh, aside from that, of, of course, I'm not going to make that account for the rest of the fan base. The, the fans were great last night. It was insanely loud. Yeah, I mean, I went to the wildcard game in 15, and that was the loudest up to that point I ever heard the new stadium. Uh, that first inning, and then they they lost. But I, I remember hearing you guys at the game and and on the radio last year was loud, and then, and then this year it was just you know they ratcheted it up, and you know people are excited about this team, and unfortunately some people think that loving a team means being a jerk in the name of that team, and and that's not really what it is. And you know I think um you know I think Joe's McFly he, he you know he posts all these awesome videos but he's very positive and he you know he's like let's you know let's just root for our guys and don't don't boo your own players like yeah he never does uh, it at the expense yeah, of other fans exactly so, so that's what that's what's fun but anyway thank you for giving us a peek behind the the curtain and I mean there's still a ton of things I have to ask you but I know we need to start talking about um Big bad Boston. So, I mean, what do you say? We we hear what Katie had to say about the impressive things from last night's game and, and preview the start previewing the Red Sox. Yeah, that sounds good. We uh, we talked to Katie Sharp of the Athletic and River Avenue Blues, and as she always does on Twitter, she really brought it with the golden statistical nuggets that she often is armed with, and she was kind enough to talk to us. And here's Katie on the upcoming matchup with the Red Sox. All right, so we are joined by Katie Sharp. Uh, you can catch her work on The Athletic and River Avenue Blues and always with the good stats on Twitter when the game's going on. Katie, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. So obviously a huge win last night, and a big part of it was was Dellen Batances coming in and relieving Severino, getting out of a jam, and then pitching another scoreless inning after. Can you just speak to Batances and his improvement over the year, especially in multi-inning situations, and do you think that will continue to be the case for his usage in the ALDS? Yeah, um, I, I did. I uh, I noted it on Twitter. You know, I sent a tweet out after uh, after he finished his appearance. In that first, he's he's about eight times he's been called on to uh, to make that multi-inning appearance. The first four times, which basically encompassed um, you know through mid-May, he was pretty awful. He gave up uh, eight runs in those appearances. But since then, he has in his last four, he hasn't given up a run in that second inning of work. Um, and I think that really speaks to some sort of general improvement that he's had since mid-May. Um, I wrote an article about Batances's, um kind of improvement and transformation back in June when he had first started to come out of it about a month into it. And um, it was really telling. I mean, if you remember back through about the first five, six weeks of the season, he had struggled. And it wasn't just in those, you know, extended appearances. It was, it was you know... Several several times he got he got hit with home runs. He was getting hit really hard, a lot of doubles, um, hard contact. And uh, I looked into some of his struggles and how he uh, kind of improved over that. And one of the things was that he was breaking ball heavy um, over the first six weeks. 
really relying on that curveball. He probably, maybe he didn't have such a great feel for his fastball, um, but he threw 60% curveballs and 40% fastballs um, in those first six weeks of the season. And that encompasses when he was, you know, kind of struggling with those second inning of work. Um, and, uh, and then he tr- kind of transformed himself, and he, he, he's now been uh, about a 50-50 split between his fastball and his curveball since uh, the middle of May, which I think really just helps him become less predictable. And that becomes even more important when he's coming out for that second inning of work, where no, they can't key on in his fat. They can't, uh, you know, hitters can't just kind of sit on his fastball or, or look for that, you know, and, or, you know, let that curveball go out of the zone if they don't know what's coming. And so I think that's one aspect that's really helped him uh, since, um, you know, since the middle of May and in that second inning of extended experience appearances. The other one is that, um, you know, it looked like he uh, his his uh, his release point has really tightened up as well uh, since then. And that obviously helps when he's going longer um, and making those multi-inning appearances where he doesn't get as fatigued as much and he can kind of repeat his delivery and his mechanics. And we we know that his mechanics are such an important part of his success. And another improved pitcher was Luis Severino last night who Batances maybe bailed out in the fifth inning when Severino started to run into a little bit of trouble it was a shutout for Severino an abbreviated start but again it seemed felt like a bend don't break kind of outing he the A's worked seven full counts against him he walked four batters so you know do you think maybe Severino's leash will be a little shorter in other outings in the playoffs? Should he get another outing? Or what do you see uh, moving forward with Severino in terms of how Aaron Boone uses him? I think that I think that it's going to be sort of the same way that he used him um, in this, you know, in last night's game and the wild card game. Um, and his struggles against uh, the third time through the order are real. Um, if you look at his splits, um, he's he's allowing a batting average of three six. It's a, it's a let's see third time through the orders three sixteen three thirty OBP five eleven slugging. So that's eight forty OPS. Um, and first time through his first and second time through the order, he's about he's allowing about a six hundred OPS. So those those are dramatic differences, and you know every starter struggles that third time through the order, but his are about twenty percent worse the third time through the order um, than the major league uh, average starter. So I think that that's something that's real and that, you know, Boone definitely recognizes. And I can easily see him um, having a quick leash like he did last night. I was, you know, I was kind of shocked that he let him go out for that fifth inning, especially since he had expended so much um, getting out of the jam at the, uh, at the end of the fourth. Um, so, and I think that, you know, I think he pulled the right strings though. And once he, once he got like I think believe it was two guys on, um, you know he brought Batantis in to uh, to put out that fire, and I think it was absolutely the right choice. Um, and I I think Boone will have that quick hook going forward. Now, now, how about a, a hook on Miguel and Duhar? We saw Hechevarria come in what I thought was maybe fairly early in the game, but of course mm-hmm. it paid off right away with that incredible leaping catch. And, you know, and Duhar, a, a tricky situation. He had a couple bad throws last night, but he's also one of the most valuable bats in the Yankees lineup. So how, how do you see Boone 
using Andujar and, and how early could you see him being taken out in some of these playoff games with narrow leads knowing that you're giving up one of your best bats in the lineup? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I was. It was a little bit surprising to see him. I believe it was, what was it, the sixth inning maybe um, when he came in, which is a little bit earlier than he has been doing in the past. I mean, he's been he's been pulling Andujar pretty much all season um, for defensive replacements. So that wasn't too much of a shock. But I think, you know, the early, the early inning, you know, going to him that early was a little bit um, – concerning but I think that what it really comes down to is it comes down to a lot of who the pitcher is on the mound as well Um, and I think that with a guy like Severino or Tanaka who is going to get their fair share of ground balls um, but also have heavy, you know, also will strike out their fair fair share uh, of guys um, I think you'll see Maybe, you know, the sixth inning, I think, would be kind of, uh, or sixth, seventh inning um, would kind of be a place where he would uh, he would pull him. Um, but for a guy like Jay Happ, um, I think that he will leave him in a little bit longer because he is a fly ball pitcher. And, uh, you know, there's less of a, uh, of a risk of leaving him there at third base and kind of extending him maybe to get another at bat. Um, but it's a, it's a concern, um, and as we as we've seen, his main problems are with throwing, and that makes it even more glaring because it's not like he's um, you know he's fielding the ball pretty cleanly, but he has that double clutch in his throw, and sometimes he'll sit back on a uh, on a ground ball, and that impacts his ability to uh, to get the ball all the way across the diamond in time. Um, so I think that's what frustrates fans a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's good that he is, he's not making those stupid errors where the ball goes through his legs. Um, but at the same time, um, when he feels the ball so cleanly and then just can't make the throw, that's very frustrating. And you've seen it also with, uh, with CC Sabathia on the mound, um, where that's a big, big concern because, uh, obviously the left-handed, um, right-handed, um, matchups and, uh, and also because CC is probably uh, one of the more ground help, ground ball heavy uh, pitchers on the staff. So, yeah, you see, you see CC, the, you know, lefty with a lot of ground balls, but you also just mentioned uh, Jay Happ, uh, another lefty, but more of a fly ball pitcher who's a ton of success against the Red Sox, uh, especially lately. And the Yankees just announced that he'll be pitching games one and five. So what can we expect from Hap uh, this series? The, the numbers have been phenomenal. Do you, do you think it's something that gives the Yankees a distinct advantage in games one and five? Yes, I, uh, I definitely think that Hap's uh, success against the Red Sox gives the Yankees an advantage in those games. Um, the numbers bear it out. It's a one nine nine ERA, four starts, um, two very good starts um, with the Yankees in September. Um, and, you know, the big thing is that he's not going to be intimidated by them. Uh, he's not going to be intimidated by Fenway, and he's not going to be intimidated by pitching the pressure of pitching in the playoffs. He's been there, and he's done that. and He's had proven success at those levels. And I think for, for such a veteran pitcher like uh, perhaps, you know, that established experience counts more. Um, than it would for for other pitchers. Um, and the fact that he's already seen the Red Sox four times this season helps him, I think. 
um, because he is such a he's a very intellectual and, and crafty you know finesse pitcher almost his fastball doesn't get much above 92 93 um, and what he really succeeds in is is locating that fastball on the edges um, and that can that can frustrate batters a lot especially you know if they've had trouble with him in the past gotcha so uh, a pitcher that has had a tough time with the Red Sox has been Raldis Chapman and I'm just wondering, we saw him close last night, which he hadn't been doing towards the end of the regular season. How do you think Chapman's struggles will affect the way that Boone uses his bullpen? Yeah, the numbers, I mean, they just really don't make sense, <laughs> to be honest. Uh, since the start of last season, uh, he's pitched against the Red Sox 16 times. He has an 8.59 ERA, uh, and that's 16 runs. 16 walks in 14 two-thirds innings um, and it's six, and 16 hits and it's not like he's giving up a lot of home runs and big hits like that he's on, only given up two home runs but it's just that constant constant you know contact and pep and singles and doubles and kind of mo- just move around the bases um, and those walks really hurt as well that's that's pretty abnormal um, more than one walk per inning uh, so I think that, you know, it's it definitely is a concern. I wouldn't normally say that in a small sample like this it's a concern, but the fact that it it's, you know, it's a reliever, he does have issues, you know, it's possible that there are confidence issues um, at this point, uh, dating back to last season um, when he's facing the Red Sox. If I were Boone, I would probably be more wary than normal about using him in a uh, – in a high leverage spot against the Red Sox, which is unfortunate because, you know, he he's one of their best relievers, um, you know, obviously in the bullpen. And you want to be able to maximize his uh, his experience and, and his, his high velocity. Um, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it's a mixed bag. He had seven appearances against the Red Sox this year. Three of them were clean and four of them were not clean. Um, so you really don't know um, what you're going to get. And obviously with the two big right-handed bats that the Red Sox have in J.D. Martinez and Mookie Betts, that's obviously a weapon against the uh, the lefty, against Chapman. Um, so I think that it is going to be something that, you know, obviously Boone is going to be wary of. And uh, we'll have to just kind of wait and see going forward. Yeah, and you, you mentioned uh, two, of the, two of the Red Sox big guns, but who else on the Red Sox do you think has had some success, especially against the Yankees lately, that the Yankees should be concerned about in this series? Well, obviously it starts with, with Betts and Martinez, and, and unsurprisingly, um, they have been terrific against the Yankees. If you look at Betts, um, I think he's kind of the one that they should be concerned about the most. Um First, because of his numbers, it's uh, it's pretty ridiculous. A 415 batting average, 506 OBP, and a 738 slugging. <laughs> I mean, those are you know better than Bonds, but um, at the same time, and he is also um, as the leadoff batter, he's really the igniter for that lineup. If you if you can't retire bets, if if you're having struggle, if you're struggling to get him out, that just makes the rest of the lineup even better. Because he'll get on base and he can steal, he can run, um, and he can, you know, he kind of sets the table for the rest of the guys there. So I think that's going to be the, the big key. 
is obviously, and, and it's no surprise as he's having an MVP season, but um, his success so far against the Yankees and, and their pitchers, uh, it doesn't bode well um, for them uh, in, in, in trying to neutralize him. You know, you really have to change eye levels and kind of, you can't just you can't just feed him fastballs or, or try and get him to chase out of the zone. You really have to mix up your pitches. Um, the other, you know, obviously the other Yankee killer that we that we're all familiar with as Yankee fans is Steve Pierce, which is sort of ridiculous because uh, he doesn't seem to like to hit against anybody else. But um, yeah, I believe it's since 2016, uh, only Manny Machado has more home runs against the Yankees um, than Pierce. And this year he's pretty. He's been his usual Yankee kryptonite self. He's got five home runs in uh, 24 at bats, uh, 13 RBIs, um, and a double. And that's basically over a sample of probably about six starts that he's had. Uh, so I think that they're gonna. And he is actually he has uh, great numbers against Hap. Um, it's 11 for 32 with uh, with a bunch of home runs. And I think that's somebody that they're going to, uh, to definitely key on and maybe even pitch around at this point um, because he has he has had such kind of that, you know, uh, Yankee killer instinct. Yeah, we definitely saw that the, the last weekend <laughs> of the season where he, uh, I think he had a grand slam off half. But yep. uh, let's stop talking about what makes us scared and let's talk about what, what Yankee hitters do you think uh, are lined up to have a big series, whether it be that they're hot lately or that they've had really – really good seasons against the Red Sox pitchers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think obviously you, you got to start with, uh, with our man, Luke Voigt. Um, not only has he, you know, I mean, obviously not only has he been phenomenal um, over the past, you know, let's say six, eight weeks, but he has been tremendous against the Red Sox. And in six games, he's uh, eight for 22 with a 417 OBP and he's uh his slugging percentage has four digits next with it so uh, that's all i have to say there he's got five home runs five home runs and 22 at bats um so he really has turned it on um against the red sox and i'm honestly you know just kind of from a, a standpoint is i'm not surprised because that guy has so much energy and he gets so hyped up in the biggest situations that you can just see him thriving in this rivalry and you can see how how he does that uh so he's definitely some guy that i think you know you're gonna look to to have that big hit um stanton also has had a lot of success stanton and judge both have had a lot of success um against uh against the red sox this season they've combined for 10 home runs um and they both have ops's above a thousand um, and that's in a much larger sample, obviously, than than Foyt. Those are that's over about fifteen, sixteen games that they played. Um, and if you remember, Judge missed that series at the beginning of April against the Red Sox when the Yankees were swept. And I think that really kind of showed how much he can have an impact um, on these uh, in this rivalry. All right, great stuff. That's uh, Katie Sharp from the Athletic and River Avenue Blues, and. Obviously a must-follow on Twitter if you want any uh, good Yankee nuggets like the ones she just provided here. Katie, thank you so much for talking with us, and uh, enjoy the series. I'm sure it's going to take a lot of years off all of our lives. <laughs> all right. Thanks, guys. Thanks, for, thanks right. so much for having me on. Thank you for being on, Katie.
All right, huge thanks to Katie Sharp, who obviously gave us plenty of good things to keep in mind once the Yanks and Red Sox get going on Friday night. And, um, so, you know, I, a lot of the names she mentioned in terms of people to look out for are, are ones you would expect, and that's normal given their bloated stats against each other. I think the Betts and Martinez combo is obviously huge. And then on the Yankee side, she mentioned uh, Stanton and Voigt, and, you know, Voigt is... <laughs> he's, it's crazy to say, but he's become one of the reasons why the Yankees were able to host that wild card game. One of the reasons why they got past the wild card game. So, I think a huge factor is is helping him stay hot and be a key part of that lineup. It looks like Stanton's really gotten going since the last week of the season. He had a, a rough uh, September for a while, but he's really uh, turned it on of late. So, I think those are two huge bats. Judge going deep was a really good sign. He'd been He'd been playing well since he came back, but the exit velocity was down and he wasn't getting as much power. But he homered the last weekend of the regular season, homered again in the wild card game. So, you know, the Red Sox pitching staff is, is probably, they've given the Yankees problems. Sale, you, know, you don't have to say anything about him. He's completely dominated the Yankees. But then those, you know, those other secondary starters like Eovaldi and Rick Porcello have given the Yankees problems and those big bats need to come up against those guys if the Yankees are going to win this series I I agree and and looking forward to the series um you know there there there's a big piece here that is is very unknown and it makes it hard to predict and and that is Chris Sale I mean is Chris Sale going to be the the broken down pitcher that we've seen at the end of the season and in the postseason, the last few years, or is he going to be the guy that, you know, goes eight innings and gives up one run? Um, the last time he pitched, he was throwing in the low nineties and there was only about a six to seven mile per hour difference between his fastball and his changeup. If that's the Chris sale that the Yankees get to face, I would love the Yankees in this series. If, if, the, if that's the case, because then they just need to win one more between the other three. Um, and with Eovaldi and, and Porcello, the thing about a sinker baller is if they're a little bit off, they get hit hard. But with with the way the Yankees lineup is constructed now and with the way that when they're all healthy and with the way that the Red Sox bullpen is, even though that they've you know converted some starters to make nice pieces, we can get the Eovaldis and Porcellos out quickly uh, by just wearing them down with, with our lineup. And, and I think that gives us a distinct advantage. And the Yankees will have an advantage late in these games. Yeah, that'll be important. And, and Eovaldi, I think he's gone 16 scoreless innings against the Yankees uh, last three times out or something ridiculous like that. And also important to remember that 14 of those 16 innings were when the Yankees were banged up without Judge, without Didi, without Sanchez. And... Um, you know, earlier in the year when he was with Tampa Bay, the Yankees knocked him around pretty good when they were still at full strength. So hopefully that brings out a change when they face him, if they face him, because he's the game four pitcher. So there's a chance that they don't if, if one team sweeps, something I definitely don't see happening. I'm expecting a, a hard-fought back-and-forth series that will have all the stressors and have us on the edge of our seats the entire time. But... um you know, we we did it for the wild card game. Let's do it now. How do you see the series shaking out, and who do you see moving on to the ALCS, doing our absolute best to stay objective? Well, I mean, I was very close to I was very very close to picking the A's, and and I said as much. So I, I try to be objective. I'm usually very negative, if anything. <laughs> um, 
you know, in case people haven't noticed. So here's, here's what I'm thinking. And, um, you have the, the Chris Sale factor, and going up against Sale, we have Hap, who we know has pitched very well against the Red Sox and at Fenway Park. Game two, you have Price, who has had struggles in the postseason, struggles against the Yankees, and the pitcher for the Yankees is Tanaka, who's an excellent postseason pitcher and has had success at Fenway, although he's gotten hit, hit around a couple times. But um, and, and then you go back to Yankee Stadium, and even though you're facing guys that have given you trouble, you have CC, who's a big game pitcher um, and was good in his last start, and Severino, who we know can go through four innings really solid. So the way I see it, the Yankees have a very good chance to win every every one of the five games. And, and when I, when I, so I kind of wash out the starters in my head, um, and then I start looking elsewhere, and the Yankees have the advantage in the bullpen, and I think the Yankees have a more well-rounded lineup. The Red, the Red Sox, you know, have the have the two best hitters I think in the series right now, oh, yeah. uh, in, in, in Betts and Martinez, and then they have that Steve Pierce who kills us. But the Yankees have a lineup that's going to wear pitchers down, and and the Red Sox don't have the bullpen to to go with four or five innings in the bullpen in every game, and I think we'll be able to get there. I see the Yankees winning this series in four. Um, four, wow. Four. Yeah, the, the, I, I could see the Yankees. I, I mean, this is the way I look at it in my head. Price and Sale have given me no reason to believe they can win in October. I think the Yankees are going to go to Fenway and win fr- tomorrow night and win on Saturday night as well. That's bold. Friday That's bold. I would sign up. I would certainly sign up for it. I, I agree with you that there's a lot of uncertainty there with, with both starters. We've also seen Price look like a completely different pitcher when he's in Fenway pitching against the Yankees. So, of course, that wasn't in the playoffs. I'm, I'm not expecting. Um, I'm not expecting Price to be to be mowing down the Yankees in any way. That that game could that that game could turn into um, a classic Yankees offensive slugfest if Tanaka isn't his normal postseason self because he has really gotten knocked around by the Red Sox this year. Save for that one short four and two-thirds, nine strikeouts, one run outing uh, in the middle of that nightmare four-game sweep at Fenway. Other than that, he's been bad against Boston this year. So game two could, in my eyes, could become uh, a little bit of a shootout. Um, I agree, but... I also think the Yankees are more well equipped for a game like that because, uh, you oh, know, abs- the, absolutely because of the bullpen. The, the, the only guy in the bullpen aside from Kimbrel that that bothers me is right. The knuckleball always gives. For some reason, the Yankees can never hit a knuckleball pitcher, even though they have different generations of teams like Boone the could hit a knuckleballer. <laughs> <laughs> the Yankees, except for Boone, could not hit Tim Wakefield. Uh, I'm Stephen Wright pitched against the the Yankees back back in uh, like 2015. And after that, the Yankees were called the rest of the season. I'm convinced that's what screwed the Yankees up <laughs> for the whole year. And I was I at that was game more, in like July or August. I think it was more age, but, um, but I, that could have been a factor. But um, that, he's the only guy that bothers me in that bullpen. Uh, so unless, that's, that's what I mean. The, he, and they can't pitch right every night, and they can't pitch Kimbrel multiple innings. So... Uh, I, I like the Yankees late in these games, and you know what? If you get a game where, yeah, Price and, and Tanaka are getting bombed, well, I still think it's advantage Yankees. And 
I, I mean, I, I just I like the odds for the Yankees to win at least one at Yankees at um, at Fenway. I think they could win both. And let's say they don't win both and they split. Well, then they come home and you know what? You're going to have probably Severino on the mound for game three after a shot of confidence with the way that he was able to bully the A's. Um, and then the bullpen would be fully rested with the day off, so the Yankees would have a good chance to win game three. So I like the Yankees' chances in every game. I think the Red Sox would probably take one of the, the first three, and the Yankees will close them out at home. So I'll, I'll preface my prediction with, with the negative first and what I think are going to be some concerns for the Yankees. Um, huge move by Boone to start Severino in the wild card game and get past it because that sets up Hap for two games, and we know how good Hap has been against Boston. The only cause for concern for me is if this series goes a little long, four or five games, and you have Hap a second time around, now that's that's three times Boston's face Hap in the last couple weeks because they faced him in the last weekend of the regular season. And, and I don't know if that starts swinging the favor more towards Boston, that they've seen him so many times in such a short amount of time. I, I feel like that was maybe a little bit of a catalyst as to why the Astros knocked around the Red Sox pitching a lot because they saw the, uh, those starters at the end of the year, and, and they were just playing better at the time. But um, So I, I think that could wind up being a concern, or Hap can just you know keep status quo. I think that could go either way. My, my other concern would, would definitely be, be Chapman. We talked about that with, with Katie Sharp and you know put – you know, Chapman in a close game could wind up being disastrous, just given how horrible he's been against Boston, um, which is which is puzzling given how dominant he could be against other really good offenses. And and then, you know, your one of your other options to close out a game is Britain, and he showed you yesterday. He he's another one who can who can falter quickly. So the back end of the bullpen is going to have to be at their best because I, I'm not predicting uh, many blowouts. These are going to be some close games where the bullpen is going to be desperately needed. And then my other concern would probably be sale. I mean, we, we've seen other players who have struggled in postseasons and then suddenly turned it around, look no further than a guy like A-Rod. And, and the question will be, is sale rested or rusty? I think that, I think that could be, uh, one of the determining determining factors in the series. So now, having said all that, oh, and the the corners, the the corner infielders are going to have to be better for the Yankees because they a lot of their pitchers rely on ground balls. So Andujar and Voigt are going to have to be at their best, and Boone's going to have to be quick to get some better gloves in if they have a lead. And so now it, it's funny. I feel like I feel like this series feels so much like the uh, ALDS last year, where the Yankees are coming in after a wild card game win at home, facing the hottest and best team in baseball. They did the same thing against Cleveland last year, where Cleveland had a star-studded ace in Corey Kluber, who was maybe fighting a little bit of a nagging injury, which might be going on with Sale's shoulder right now, and that wound up being huge for the Yankees, especially in Game 5, and they knocked him around in Game 2, and the Yankees' bullpen really stepped up. So I feel like the X factor for the Yankees is a huge reason why they were able to escape that series against Cleveland was because Jose Ramirez, who's one of the best hitters in the league, went absolutely cold that entire series, and he his bat was completely neutralized. So I think the key for the Yankees is to, you know, 
figure out a way to neutralize one of those big bats in Boston's lineup, whether it be Betts or Martinez, or you can even throw Pierce in there the way he's killed the Yankees. So if the Yankee pitching could can pick on one of those big hitters and, and really shut them down like they were able to do with Jose Ramirez in the ALDS last year, I see. I could see the Yankees winning this in in four or five games. Well, pick one. I picked one. <laughs> I, I, I wanted to say, I'll say Yankees in five. I'll say Yankees in five. Um, I can see them splitting. I can see them splitting in Fenway and then splitting at home, and then they go on the road for Game Five. And the Yank, uh, the Red Sox go back to Sale, who just hasn't been used to pitching regularly, and he's a little rusty in Game 5. The Yankees scratch across a few runs, and um, and, and the Red Sox kryptonite, that bridge to Craig Kimbrell. They'll, they'll, they, get to, they get to that bridge in the middle and late innings, and they, and they win by you know, two or three runs and, and go to the ALCS, and we're all happy as can be. Sounds good to me. Um... I bet ten dollars on the Red Sox to win the, the the series, just like I did for the wild card game Good for the work. A's. So, and here we are both picking the Yankees, like we did for the wild card game. So, I'm doing everything. My part. Everything is proceeding as we have foreseen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see. I mean, I think there's definitely Yankees definitely have their flaws, um, but I oh, think absolutely. That, this... I think that they match up well with Boston, and um, I mean, if you take out that four game series, they really did play better than than the Red Sox in their head-to-head series yeah you you can consider that an outlier without Judge and and with guys like Holder just completely falling apart CC had one of his worst outings of the season we've seen CC his arguably his best outing of the season was against the Yankees at at the game we were at Uh, Um, yeah against the Red Sox on the 29th of June I think it was yep yep so we'll see again I, I I predict the Yankees to win the series but I should also Side note that I wouldn't be surprised at all if it, if it went the other way. That's just how good the Red Sox are. So, well, that's the thing. Like, if Sale is is as good as we know he can be, then then yeah, I'm not picking the Yankees. But if if we get postseason Sale and postseason Price, then then yeah, let's go Yanks. All right. Well, that's gonna do it. Thanks to Katie Sharp for talking with us and. She was awesome. Oh, she's yeah. an awesome. If you don't follow her on Twitter, you're just an uninformed yeah. Yankee fan. A Yankee she's... encyclopedia when it comes yep. to stats and trends and pretty much anything you could possibly want to know about the game as it's unfolding. She's there answering people's questions and um, and answered our questions today. She was kind enough to do that. So thanks again to her and uh, Sean. Let's uh, let's go get ourselves mentally and emotionally prepared for what's about to unfold. I am going to be so exhausted at the end of the series. Uh, I'm tired already just for the wild card game, but let's go. All right. Well, we'll see everyone next time on the Bomber Brothers podcast and go Yanks. Let's go Yankees.